Today, we are honoring our animal companions. We welcome everyone because we are all relatives. We welcome you into this loving community, your community, with joy and anticipation for a very quirky, joyful service. Who knows what might happen in the next hour? Be open to this wonderful, amazing service that I hope will touch your hearts and help us remember that we are all relatives and we have angels in the shape of doggies and cats and fish and reptiles and birds and so much more. For the homily today, um, Reverend Maria Christina and I have, um, we're sharing a couple of stories of ours about animals. Um, I am a member of the Bushwick Book Club Seattle, and it is a collection of writers and performers, and we are invited to write and perform songs about books. And last weekend, I wrote and performed a song uh, inspired by Charlotte's Web. And I wanted to share that song today because it involves an experience I had with spiders. Now, when I was, when I was a kid, I, I hated and feared spiders. I don't remember having any kind of trauma around spiders. It just seemed to be like this visceral response. Whenever I saw even the, t the tiniest spider, I would just, I would run. I was, I was terrified. I was afraid. I was revolted. But then when I read Charlotte's Web, I was amazed that E.B. White made me feel about a spider. And when Charlotte died, I cried. How amazing is that for a writer to do that? So the name of Charlotte's three daughters, well, she actually had 526 children, <laughs> but there are three children that speak to Wilbur at the very end. And their names are Nellie, Arania, and Joy, and their names come up in the song. So the song concerns, uh, I was in Door County, Wisconsin, doing summer stock in 1991. This is before cell phones. Door County, Wisconsin is a peninsula, and there's water everywhere and trees everywhere and spiders everywhere. It's just spider heaven. And I did my best to keep the spiders at bay and to just pretend to not freak out every time I saw them. Everybody in the cast, everybody in the crew, even sometimes audience members would share one phone in the lodge, and we all had to call our answering machines to find out what our agents and what people were offering us for our next job. So everybody, every night, lined up to use the phone in the lodge, and that's where this story begins. Inspired by Carol King. <laughs> In the middle of Wisconsin, in the middle of July, I was doing summer stock. We were nestled between trees, finger lakes, and bees, with rowboats tied on a humble dock. We stayed in rustic cabins, and we hung out at the lodge. The single phone we shared was avocado green. And every night, every actor, musician, and crew would stand in line to check their answering machines. You see, kids, we did this to communicate with people back before cell phones were invented. 
One night post-show, the line was moving extra slow. I thought, is this the only, only phone? Then I remembered that I'd earlier espied a phone down it. Down in the road, standing alone, I struck forth in the night, the phone booth light in sight, and achieved my triumphant destination. I punched in my number, I casually looked up, and I was seized with shock and lots of trepidation. For I saw, looking up, an army of spiders, venomous and vile, each swinging by an evil thread. Their billion beady eyes were plotting my demise by planning on landing on my head. I did the only thing a sane adult would do. I ran screaming out into the gloom. Knock, knock, who's there? A tarantula's lair. I will never, ever go back into that tomb. Part two. For the next several days I wandered in a haze, done in by the dangling arthropods. I saw spiders everywhere, on every window, every chair. They filled the theater's aisles and esplanades. Amid cabin, lodge, and stage, this arachnid rampage persisted like a waking nightmare. No matter where I'd hide me, some spider'd sit beside me and fix me with her wicked, hungry stare. One night as I sat waiting, I found myself debating, was that phone booth really all that scary? Though there were spiders galore, they were more or less decor, and honestly, they weren't all that hairy. With temerity and doubt, I headed out, drunk on the recklessness of youth, determined to best this infernal nest, my windmill, the midnight phone booth. I open the door, I look up as before. But I saw a shelter for creatures tolerant and zen in itsy-bitsy habitats. Their woven webs were luncheonettes capturing mosquitoes and gnats. As I marveled at them all, I started to recall a book I'd enjoyed as a boy. This was not some witch's brew, these were characters I knew, Nellie, Aranya, and Joy. 
Ever since that night, thanks to E.B. White, I no longer search and destroy. I now welcome in Charlotte's kith and kin, Nellie, Aranya, and Joy. Nellie, Aranya, and Joy. Thank you. Thank you. So I took that as a teaching moment, and I made myself, from that moment on, I made myself tolerate and then appreciate and now currently enjoy spiders. Just the other night, a spider walked across my desk right next to my hand that was holding the computer mouse. I didn't flinch. I didn't jump. I just said, hello there, little one, and I let it go on its way. Speaking of fear, about four years ago, one of my congregants and her husband shared that they had finally found a dog and they were ready to adopt. Jay and R had been waiting a long time and they kept checking the local shelters constantly with so much hope, only to be disappointed again and again. I was so happy for them and asked if they had a picture. When I saw that it was a German shepherd, fully grown, my mood immediately shifted, and they noticed. They must have seen the fear in my eyes, in my immediate impulse to distance myself, to get away. They were kind enough to ask me what was behind my fear. I had never shared that with anyone else before. So I told them how I panicked every time I saw a German shepherd, even on TV or in a magazine. I could feel my heart racing, my pores opening with cold sweat, my breath constricting, and my mind racing, playing tricks with me and taking me back in time and making me feel so vulnerable and so scared. As you know, I grew up in Chile, and similarly to the U.S., the police used German shepherds to break up political protests in public. German shepherds were also used by the secret and sinister groups of the military in charge of the most heinous crimes against humanity. I had heard the testimonies of those who witnessed the horrors and were able to get away. I believe that was the point of it, to let some people go to tell the story, to instill fear in the rest of us, to make us wonder... Not if, but when will it be me? German shepherds and the feeling of dread were one and the same for me, and it became a phobia. No amount of rational thinking, mindful meditation, or therapy talk could help me get rid of that terrible connection. That is, until Sadie. When JNR brought Sadie home, they invited me to come over to meet her. I wasn't sure. I didn't know if I should do this. Why would I want to 
put myself in that position intentionally knowing that I was so fearful. So the first visit was through the glass patio door. And then after a couple of more months went by, they invited me over for dinner so that I could witness Sadie in her bed, calm, not jumping, not barking, just very content to be in her nice, comfy bed. Once JNR asked me to take care of Sadie while they were out of town, and that time I said, oh, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think you should look for somebody else. Um, yeah, no. And then I couldn't believe it, but my mouth said yes. Like, <laughs> my mouth said yes, I, I will do it. I don't know why, but I have this feeling that I can do it and that it's not going to be terrible. I didn't know then that I would have the blessing, the opportunity to break a pattern and to break my heart wide open. This fear that had been weighing in my heart for so long finally came up to the surface. And I did the scary thing. And I went and was with Sadie all by myself in this house. I fed her. I watched her sleep. I did not try to play with her. She was gentle. She didn't bark. She didn't jump. She just looked at me so intently that it made me feel something that I had never felt before. Now I call it healing. Then I was just very aware of my body, of that response, of the fear that was coming up through my pores. But I allowed myself to trust. Mind you, this probably only lasted like 10 or 15 minutes, but it seemed like an eternity for me. In a split second, I could trust again. I opened up to the possibility that this particular German shepherd was gentle and kind and loving. It really helped that Sadie was not a puppy jumping up and down. When the day arrived for the blessing of the animals at church, I was moved to tears to actually be the one approaching Sadie, to touch her, to bless her, and to feel that she was the one blessing me, making it possible for my heart and heart, for my heart and fear to dissolve and make room for this new furry love. I never thought I would ever place my hand on that furry head speckled with brown and gray hairs. I never thought that I would be so vulnerable as to offer my open hand and place it before her for her benediction, which took the shape of a warm breath, gentle approach, and subsequent slobbery licks. And that moment felt like magic. 
magic wrapped up in universal grace. Like the universe was letting me know that even though it had taken me a couple of decades, healing trauma was possible. Transformation was possible. Replacing fear with trust was possible. When I looked up at Jay and R, they were beaming with love and pride for Sadie. Not long afterwards, JNR called me to tell me that Sadie was dying. I didn't know that they had intentionally adopted an older dog with significant health issues because they wanted her to spend the rest of her life receiving the love and care she had given to her previous owner who had passed. They had not adopted to be entertained or expecting many, many years of companionship for them. Although they never said this, they adopted her to save her life. Because nobody wanted her. They knew that her arthritis would make it difficult for her to walk. That she would be in chronic pain and that she would have to be administered medication daily. And when the meds wore off, that the humans would have to be her source of comfort. They knew that she would be leaving them soon, and they were open to experiencing grief as well as unconditional love. I was surprised by my own voice asking them if I could go and be by Sadie's side. This felt important. In my chaplaincy training, no one had prepared me for this, but I knew that I wanted to be there for JNR and to accompany Sadie. And so I went. And I bowed my head before her. And I just laid down on the rug gently, placing my hand on her paw. I felt her warmth. My heart was no longer racing. My mind was only sending messages of love and peace and gratitude. And the only image before me was this gentle soul inside a body that was struggling to break free from pain. I breathed with her. And in that breath, I felt the most peaceful feeling I had ever felt. And I allowed the tears to flow for Sadie, for JNR, for my country, for my people, for my younger self living in fear for so many years, and for all the animals who are trained and used for evil. Sadie changed me, gave me a chance at healing deeply, showed me that I could trust again that I could find beauty and love in places, in people and beings that I had considered dangerous or too difficult or too risky to love. JNR also taught me that we can intentionally choose to love even in the face of impending loss, that grief does not cancel love, but in fact grows out of it, that we can choose to hold on to fear forever or in time with loving support, risk opening ourselves up to love, to experience deep transformation within ourselves 
to change our narrative, to experience the gift that our animal companions can help us to heal and that they can teach us to become better humans, more human. Sadie is short for Sarah, which in Hebrew, among other meanings, means minister. Amen.